welcome to the Polygamer Podcast, where gaming is for everyone. Join us as we expand the boundaries of the gaming community. Hello and welcome to Polygamer episode number 83 for Wednesday, November 14th, 2018. I'm your host, Ken Gagney. Last month, I went to my alma mater, Worcester Polytechnic Institute in Worcester, Massachusetts, to attend Different Games, a video game conference that looks at the academic applications of video games and how they can be used to move forward our culture and our studies. It was not the first time I attended. I had gone to the event at New York University years ago, but it has since moved from Brooklyn to much closer to me in Massachusetts. However, not everybody who was coming was from nearby. One person came all the way from South Africa to talk about her game After Hours. And joining us today on the Polygamer podcast is that developer and writer, Bahia Khan. Hello. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Anya. Uh, thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. It is quite the trek you made to come all the way to Massachusetts from Johannesburg. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, it was. I think it was like 28 hours in total. So pretty hectic. Oh, that must be so exhausting. And the jet lag must have been crippling. Yeah, I feel like I'm still recovering. Um, but yeah, it was, it was pretty intense. <sighs> And you've traveled for quite a few video game events in the past few years. I saw that you went to Amaze, and you had also done some crowdfunding to go to GDC. So you've been to quite a few of these events by now. Yeah, it's uh, it's been like a year and a half of me traveling. But last year, I only went to GDC. This year has been like super intensive when it comes to traveling. I feel like I'm always jet lag. I don't know what time zone am I existing in. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been really rewarding as well. So that's... It seems like you're traveling more the closer you get to the release of After Hours this coming December. For those who haven't gotten to try it yet, can you tell us a little bit about what After Hours is? Um, so it's a vignette FNV game that uh, follows sort of the protagonist, Lilith Gray, who's a young woman that was sexually abused as a child, which resulted in her getting borderline personality disorder. So that's sort of what the game is about. Wow. So you said it's an FMV game. When I think of FMV, not only do I think of old Sega CD games, but I also think more recently of her story. What made you choose that medium for this story? So last year, when I started my crowdfunding campaign, um, that's when I, I met Nina Freeman for the first time. And I, I played a few of her games before, but just like the Twine games that she made and that sort of thing. And then I know that her, and I think it was Star Made Games, uh, the development company, they made Sybil, uh, which is also um, an FMV game. Although in Sybil, the filming aspects are just interjected here and there. And in After Hours, the entire game is filmed. But I just thought that it was really cool, especially for showing more raw stories and stories that have a lot of emotion and that sort of thing so yeah i guess it like after seeing Sybil, i realized actually this is something that i can do and you said it's a way to convey a more emotional story as you mentioned it's about a young woman who was sexually assaulted as a child and then developed borderline personality disorder we've talked on this polygamer podcast in previous episodes about depression bipolar disorder ptsd but we've never covered bpd before can you tell us a little bit about what that is so it's also called like emotionally unstable disorder since it's characterized by unstable moods or behavior and like um, your relationship to people and stuff like that. But yeah, I don't know. It's so I have borderline and like, I don't feel like there's like one way to describe it because it feels like it's such a crazy thing that's like all over the place. And even my description of it feels like it's all over the place. Um, but basically it's just a really awful thing to live with. And it's, it feels like you're always living with a demon that looks like you. So, yeah. And how does that manifest itself? Or I know it's hard to generalize, but maybe you can speak from your own experience if that's okay. Uh, yeah, sure. You said it's like living with a demon, but how, how, how does that come out? I don't know. It just feels like sometimes there's things that trigger it. Sometimes nothing happens at all. And then you just feel like super sad. And I mean, I feel like a lot of this can be seen in after hours as well, where you like go, you ricochet between like idolizing yourself and totally devaluing yourself. And the same thing um, happens with other people as well. And you just like, I don't know, for me, I feel like I struggle a lot with trusting myself, like, because I feel like the reality that I inhabit is very different to other people's. And I mean, that's generally the case, right? Because everyone's reality is subjective. But with me, it just feels like 
holy shit, everything is like, oh, I don't know what's happening. It's super, super different. Um, and it just feels like the way that I process things are not the same way that other people do. So it's, uh, it's yeah, it's hectic. Like, I, I don't know. It just feels like a lot most of the time. When you talk about vacillating between loving and hating yourself, I saw that in the trailer for After Hours. I haven't gotten to play the game yet, but in the trailer, the young woman in one scene, she's saying, you know, I'm so effing hot. And the next scene, she's saying, oh my God, I hate myself. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of the like um, borderline tropes or characteristics in the game come from my own experience, obviously, because um, I do have borderline. So I just sort of portrayed some of the emotions that I feel. But even after like making the game, I still felt like it's, it's shown in the game. Sure. But I feel like it's so much more than that. It's such a, a messy and complicated thing, but I'm glad that I did get to put some sort of representation of borderline in the game. And if I understood you correctly, BPD is often not something like genetic or something you're born with. It's often triggered by an event, sort of like PTSD. It's something that is sort of inflicted on you. Is that correct? I think so. I'm not really sure if anyone is born with borderline. Um, like for myself, it's uh, it's because I had a very unstable childhood. So like that's why I have borderline. And I, I think like most people that I do know with borderline have been um, like sexually abused in like their adolescent years or as a child or something. So there was a, a triggering event, although I'm not really sure like how does it come about like generally for everyone. And why did you decide to make a video game about this topic? So I, I didn't like want to make a game about borderline initially. I just thought that uh, I'm going to be spending a year making a game because I made the game for my honest project last year. And the requirement was to make a video game for a year. And if I was like spending that much of time on my life on something, I needed, it needed to be important to me. So there's like a lot of issues that I'm passionate about. But unfortunately, at that time in South Africa, I mean, we have one of the highest rape rates in the world, but like it was particularly intense um, during like the period before making after hours. And that's when I decided, you know what, I need to make a game about all of this. I need to make it because I needed to like process a lot of things um, with regards to sexual abuse and that kind of thing. And I also wanted to highlight what was happening because I felt like I needed to be doing something more than just, you know, like praying for it all to stop or being there for my friends and like that, being there for myself, whatever. Um, so that's why I made the game. But also um, borderline and sexual abuse is, is so linked in a lot of ways. Um, so that's why I decided to make the game have aspects of borderline personality disorder as well. And also it, it there's so many elements of truth in that game and like people that I know and my own story in that game. So it just was like natural to have borderline um, feature within the game afterwards. During your different games talk, you mentioned some of the research you had to do to make this game and how triggering it was. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I actually, I feel like in retrospect, I didn't need to do any research because um, as a woman, unfortunately, I have been subjected to like sexual abuse multiple times in my life and all of my female friends as well have been through that so it's something that I know about firsthand we experience whatever and obviously I also know about borderline firsthand because I've had it for years now um, but I still wanted to do research because I felt like I needed to know more about other women's stories I I felt like I almost owed it to them to learn about their stories so they weren't just like another statistic or another name in the newspaper. So when I was doing all of the research and like learning about other people's stories and just how other people with borderline and who have been um, sexually assaulted generally like love their lives, I got super obsessed because I needed to know everything that ever happened. So I was just like Googling a lot of these stories and feeling more and more sickened. I felt like I had to remain in this constant state of sadness or I wouldn't be portraying the game properly, which is very unhealthy. But yeah, that's, I was definitely like super absorbed by all of this. And yeah, I, it, it was really triggering because I was just sad and sickened all the time. I understand that making a game about your own personal experiences or which is influenced by that can be very cathartic, but it sounds like that catharsis was almost offset by how troubling it was to make this game. What, what would you call this a positive experience overall? 
No. Um, I mean, like, I don't know. It's not really black and white because it's still something that I'm trying to navigate. If there's any borderline listeners listening, that's funny that I said, like, nothing's black and white because often we only see things in black and white, right? That's what everyone tells us. Um, anyway, back to your question. Um, like, there, there are good elements that came out of making this game, but it feels like it's, I don't know, I still have so many conflicting emotions with regards to having made After Hours. Like, I'm glad that I made it because it discusses really important things. And so many of the people that have played it um, are grateful that I made it. So I'm happy about that. You know, like I'm pleased that it helps people to feel less alone and that I'm speaking about it. And I'm pleased that I got to travel a lot because I made this game and could speak about it. And also just like the surrounding rewards that came with having made um, after hours. Like I have a publishing deal with Humble because I got to travel to different countries. I got to see different bands, like small punk bands that would never come to South Africa. And I got to see these bands. So that was really cool for me. But the fact that like making this game made me want to die so many times, even now with like, the the days leading up to it being released, I feel really like, I don't know, strange and just like nervous and anxious all the time. So there isn't like any positive or definitive answer about like, yes, I'm glad I made this game. No, I'm not glad I made this game. It's it's a bit of everything, really. How do you think you'll feel after the game comes out? Um, I think I'll feel really empty because like, I don't know, it's it's like my baby, you know? I've been, like, working on it and all of these things from last year. So two years of my 23 years on Earth um, having been dedicated to making this game, it's just, it feels like, especially in, like, the game dev scene, if anyone does know me, they sort of mostly associate me with After Hours. So it just feels like, you know, yeah, that's that's my kid. We we move everywhere together. I don't know. And now she's going to be going off into the world and people will interpret her however they want to. And it becomes their game. You know, like it could become someone else's favorite game, which is cool. Or I don't know, they could hate it. But like, it just feels like it's not going to be my little baby that I work on in my room, you know, just by myself. I think it just feels Pretty like, well, now what do I do with my life? It's almost like your kid is graduating and going out into the real world, and it's not going to be just yours anymore. I mean, I don't know. I think it was always in the real world, but it does feel like I have to. I don't know. I feel like, you know, those single parents that depend, I mean, not depend on their kids, but just like do everything with their kids, and now their kids are going off to college, and now you have to, I don't know, go to the shops by yourself. I feel like that's sort of how it how it feels right sort of like an empty nester as they say yeah (laughs) you said that a lot of people know you in association with after hours and how is it that you so successfully got this game's name out there because i've read so much about it i've seen you at so many events including on youtube videos for example of your amaze talk is it just by going to all these events and getting yourself out there so with after hours last year the way that it sort of got out there was it was like a super, super very broken version of the game that was kind of like thrown together and submitted to the Amaze Fest in Joburg. Um, and that's where I stay. So it was sent off to this event and then it won an award there, like the Pinkest Game Award. And I think, and because there were a lot of like international developers at Amaze, that's how a few of them uh, knew about After Hours, I guess, because they got played at Amaze and also because it won that award. And then my like prize for winning that award was the fact that I could attend Amaze Berlin in 2018. So this year, I went to Amaze Berlin and I got nominated for another award when I was there. Uh, like it, I think Humble like sponsored the award. I mean, they definitely did because like you win a publishing deal with them if you won the award. And it was about the best new talent um, and I won that award. I also did a talk at Amaze this year. So I think that that's how some people, like more people actually got to know about me. Um, and also I tweet about my game quite often. So, or like just working on it, random things, whatever. So that's also like how some people knew me. Um, 
And then when I won the Humble New Talent Award, that's how more people got to know about After Hours. And that's how I got the publishing deal. And I just tried to submit the game to as many places as possible um, and speak to as many people about the game as possible. Oh, sorry, I'm saying that a lot. But like, yeah, so that's sort of how I got the game out there. Um, there wasn't like some magic thing that happened. I don't know. It's just like working hard a lot and sending it off to as many places as you can and speaking about it in your talks. And that's basically what I did. That's really impressive because a lot of indie studios, they might, for example, contract with a publicity or marketing firm short term to help get the name out there. Or if not that, I know a lot of developers may not necessarily be comfortable on stage talking about their game. They'd rather just be dedicated to working on the code. So the fact that you're able to do all this on your own is really quite impressive. It's, um, I got like, actually, I do know this, this other guy asked me, like, do I need help marketing? Um, and that kind of thing, because he knows a lot about it. But then he was also like, oh, you have to pay me a fee, whatever. I just felt like I'd rather have the money used to pay the people who actually put like their souls into this game, like my friends that helped me make this game. And also, I don't know, it's just, because there weren't any like white men working on this game, I also just wanted to keep it between us, like the people that did work on the game, you know, not bringing in anyone new, whatever. And I don't know, maybe it was like a bad career move or something. I'm putting that in inverted commas, but you can't see that because, you know, it's a podcast. Um, but yeah, I feel like I just, I don't know, it just felt more natural doing it this way. And maybe we should have hired in someone. I don't know. It's my first game that I'm publishing. It's just, I'm doing what feels right for me right now. Um, and I'm, I'm very young. I don't know how anything works yet. It's been a massive learning curve for me. But yeah, I guess I'm just really, um, I don't know, fortunate to have the team that I do who, who believe in me and believe in this game so strongly that I feel like actually I can do these things because of these people. And how did you assemble this team? Are they mostly people you went to school with? Uh, so I'm still currently in school. That is how I met the the girl that did all of the filming for the game. So when I started out like wanting to make After Hours, I knew that it was going to be an FMV. And my lecturers and most of the people at school were like, you shouldn't do this, but not in a negative way. They were just like, you shouldn't overscope. Also, no one's made an FMV game year before. Um, and I didn't know how to code an FMV game. I also, like I did one year of film study in my first year because I accidentally got like put into that course but I didn't know how to you know shoot like <clears throat> a professional film or something and then I was on YouTube like I don't know watching music videos or something and then I came across this this video um and I thought it was really cool and it turned out it was made by this girl that's at our school so I'm at art school and all of the different divisions are like pretty close to each other and then she was also in my best friend's animation class. So I was like, okay, this is really cool. I'm going to go with him to class and meet this girl. And I met her and I asked if she would be keen to film the game. And she was like, yeah, definitely. Um, I'll do it. I always like, you know, helping out students and that kind of thing because, you know, we're all in this together. So she was really, really nice about everything. But then we still weren't sure about like who was going to be the programmer. And we did have someone else helping out for a while, but then there were like a lot of, I don't know, personality clashes and it just wasn't really working out. Um, this was during the amaze time. And then I was really like scared and stressed because I didn't know where was the programmer going to come in from. Um, and then my friend Sam said to me that like maybe I should, she'll speak to her boyfriend Tim if he could be the programmer. And I'm friends with Tim as well. I've known Tim since I was 17. Um, we met at some like anti-racism campaign thing. So yeah, I've known Tim for a while. And then Tim came in and he was like amazing, really helping us through everything. And even this year, um, Tim works in game. So he knows a lot of things. Um, and he's older than me about how like things should work and I've just learned so much from him so I was really grateful to have worked with my friends because Claire um, the girl that did all the filming we became really good friends during the making of the game and I became friends with her sister Abby as well and Abby is a really good musician and she just she composed the song on her piano and she was like I don't know if you guys want to use the song for the game the game just reminded me of the song a lot I mean like it inspired me so I made the song and that's the song we actually use in After Hours. So it just became like a really 
nice, cohesive friendship that we all formed. Um, and yeah, it's like, it's weird working with your friends because sometimes you're working and then sometimes you're discussing like, I don't know, jazz or BTS or something. So it's like a good weird. It's fun. I'm, I'm really grateful for my team. They've been the best. It's great that you're able to recruit so many people who are local to you without having to go online and just, you know, there's a global pool of talent out there, but there are so many people you don't know what you're going to get. There are people you've never met. And here is everybody you needed right in your own backyard. Yeah, exactly. I was, what was super nice about everyone is that everyone helped me work on this game, not expecting anything in return. Like no one, I mean, I'm not saying that you should do that. Like just go and sell yourself for free, but I'm just saying like their kindness. Cause there was just, you know, kind people who were like, sure, I like what you're doing and I believe in this project. So I'm going to work on it. And then we got a publishing deal and, you know, we can make some money from there but no one ever did it from the beginning thinking they would get anything out of it i've never been to south africa is there much game development happening there like other than the people you immediately worked with is there a community of people who you could go to for resources or guidance um i mean there's definitely a game development community in south africa i don't know like so i i studied game design here at my school so there's obviously like a bunch of people doing it here but People that I would go to for guidance, um, it's generally Tim or my friend Ahmed, who I know, because they are um, people of color game devs. And I don't know, I feel like they're more, I mean, I'm a person of color, so it's better for me going to people like that because we have like similar experiences and I just feel like they know me quite well. I wouldn't go to my lecturers or something because I just, not because they're stupid, but just because I feel like, I don't know, they don't really like, it's just, it's not the people I would go to. Um, but yeah, there's a bunch of people doing independent games. I mean, there's like bigger studios in Cape Town, like Free Lives and stuff, um, who made Pro Force and Genital Jousting. But I don't know, like, within Joburg specifically, they do have like a bunch of meetups monthly. I don't attend any of them because when I went for one, it was just like, white dudes, I don't know, sort of like circle jerking each other off like, yeah, all our games are amazing and it just didn't feel like the kind of place for me. Um, but I think that the the people that are studying game development at my university at the moment, they're super talented, loads of potential. Definitely everyone should, you know, keep an eye on South African games because there's so many cool and unique perspectives coming out from South Africa. Um, and yeah, I just, I think it's definitely growing. There's lots of people that do do it. We don't always have the resources, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, it's, it's easier for obviously like white people to get into it because, you know, white privilege is a thing. Um, but like for myself and some other game devs from South Africa, like we don't have access to internet at home. So we have to always come into university to use the internet and work. And also sometimes like, the language barrier is a problem. Like English isn't everybody's first language. So trying to get your game out there or even just to pass university, it's it's quite difficult. You've mentioned your university a few times. Do I understand that you're studying experimental storytelling? Yeah, I'm doing my master's in that at the moment. I haven't heard of that program before. What does it consist of? It's just a pretentious name, I guess, uh, for something. <laughs> <laughs> You can do your master's in digital arts at my university, and then it's broken down into like animation or game design or experimental storytelling. Um, and I chose to do mine in experimental storytelling because it seemed like the most open-ended one, like I could do whatever I want to do. And I really like mixed media stuff. So it just felt like with experimental storytelling, I got to, you know, do whatever I wanted to really. But I didn't do much work on my master's this year because I'd been so busy with after hours. I didn't expect to get a publishing deal or anything. So it sort of threw my plans off a bit, but my supervisor has been really nice because they've sort of changed a lot of the due dates for me to accommodate me with the after hours release. So the school where I saw you speak at WPI, they actually have a bachelor's and a master's program in interactive media and game design, where they teach people not only storytelling and interactive arts, but also actual game programming. It sounds like experimental storytelling, which you're studying, there is no expectation that people know how to make video games. So you're largely self-taught in that respect. Is that true? 
Um, well, my undergrad degree was in game development. Ah. So that's how, but also, yeah, um, we didn't get to programming properly at all. Also, the year where we learned how to program, it was, I think, probably the worst year of my life because um, my stepfather, who I take as like my real dad, he got murdered literally the day before our programming um, course started. And I was, I went completely insane. Um, I, I didn't know how was I going to continue at school because like aside from being off my head, I, we didn't have any money anymore like to pay for fees. So I was really lucky that I got a bursary to continue paying for my fees and everything just went bad. Like I, I didn't do, I didn't do any of the programming that year. My best friend, he was the one that would like do both of our work and just be like, yeah, this is, um, but yeah, she worked on this by herself. So I was really grateful for all of the help that came from other people. But like, I never, I don't know, I have like a very massive problem when it comes to programming because I always have this block that like, it reminds me of everything that happened during that year. So, yeah. Wow. I, I'm so sorry for your loss. I had no idea. Thank you. Uh, it's quite the testament that you were able to persevere through all that and land where you are now with a game and a publishing deal and, a, you know, in a successful master's program. Thank you. I wish, yeah, I definitely do wish that my father was still around because I feel like he was my biggest fan always. Like if I'd be in the newspaper, he'd cut it out and stick it up at his job and be like, yeah, this is my daughter. She's doing all of these things. Um, yeah. So I, I really, really do wish that he was still alive and that he saw me graduate and all of these things. But on my graduation, like I drew a little stick figure of him and stuck it in my pocket. So it felt like, you know, he was sort of there. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Did he understand what it is you were doing? Because like my parents, they always say, oh, we're, you know, we're so glad you're doing something that makes you happy. We don't understand what it is, but as long as you're happy. <laughs> yeah, no, he, he definitely understood what I was doing. Um, like I was saying, he, it felt like he was my biggest fan. My mom didn't want me to go into video games. Um, in fact, no one wanted me to in school because they, everyone wanted me to go into journalism because I used to write a lot, like write for my local newspaper and everything. And I mean, I come from like a really shitty ghetto place. No one goes into game design there. So, and I understand why a lot of people wanted me to take like a safer route because money is important. Unfortunately, like we live in a capitalist hell. And especially for minority people like financial security, we need that, you know. So my mom wanted me to be, become an accountant or something like that. But my dad was like, you know what, you're doing this. It's really cool. Um, and he, he used to work at a butchery. So he'd always tell me I need to make a game about him as a butcherman doing all of these things. And I definitely will do that. I'll definitely do it at some point. Um, and I don't know, set up like a projector outside his grave and play the game. So yeah, that should be should be an experience but yeah my family they know what I do I don't really let them play my games because like ew it's too personal who are those people I'm not letting them play it I'd rather let like total strangers play it yeah I, I can appreciate that I do storytelling here in Boston and the stories that I tell there may be a thousand people in the audience but I would never want anybody in my family to, to listen to one of them yeah uh, speaking of which, you talked about the team that you assembled and the person who did all the filming, but you were the person on the other side of the camera. You were the, you're the one actually in the game. Is that correct? Yes. Do you have any background in acting or performance arts? Hell no. <laughs> Not at all. I'm acting like a loser everywhere I go. But um, no, I don't have any um, acting experience. Um, luckily, a lot of the things that I did in the game wasn't acting it's how I actually behave a lot of the time so yeah it's uh I, I, I felt like I had to be the person in the game because the story felt so intimate to me and I didn't trust anyone else to portray it the way I felt I needed it to be portrayed I mean you've not only invested so much of your life into making this game you yourself are literally in the game does that make it a more vulnerable experience? Are you more sensitive to what people might think of the game since it can be said to be a critique on you? Uh, I don't really care about that um, aspect of it. Like, I don't care what anyone thinks of how I acted in the game, whatever. I never ever made it for other people, you know, in that sense. Um, I mean, obviously it's for other people because I was doing it for a school project. But like most of the things that I do, 
actually all of the things that I do are for myself, like first and foremost. So I was fine with it. So the way like I portrayed the character, what did make me feel weird though, um, was, is when other people play the game because they look at me, like if I'm at a, a, a festival showcase in the game, they look at me and they look at the person in the game and they're like, huh, what, what's going on? Um, so that does make me feel weird. And also like all of the, the crying and all of that in the game. I don't generally like to be around when people are playing the game because it's like, it's not nice for me seeing that. And I feel like sad for myself or the character in the game when I see her going through all of this. So it's, that's weird. But like the actual filming of the game, I mean, obviously a lot of the, the viewership of the game is quite voyeuristic because it's like someone watching what the protagonist is going through. But, um, when Claire was filming the game, because she's a woman and like a soft person and someone that I trust, um, it that didn't feel weird for me because we were in control of what we got to show most of the time. Although there are some scenes where I'm like, shucks, my, my pajama dress is so short, but it was so rushed. So there's no time to like edit those parts out or anything. Um, and also I did not have like the emotional energy to reshoot those scenes. Also my hair is back to my natural hair color. So that would have been like lots of discontinuity in terms of editing. Cause when I shot the game, half of my hair was, I think um so that was going to be a problem but yeah it's it it feels like when I watch people play the game that I'm sort of standing with all of my guts ripped out you know and like waiting for them to assess what's happening there so I'd rather just not watch it you mentioned that the game has received many awards at various conventions and conferences but what has that personal response been when you see people playing the game how do they react to it most of the time, like if it's young women playing the game, they start crying or they ask if they can hug me or they're just like, yes, this is exactly how it is. And that, um, while it should make me feel good because, you know, people are responding. I don't know if you can say positively, if that's the word. It makes me feel horrible because these these young women have experienced um, sexual abuse or have borderline or experienced something that's happening in the game, which is largely painful you know so while people are like yes this is a good um representation of it i still don't want them to be able to identify with it because like shit it's awful that they um are able to identify with it um on the other hand if i don't know like people that haven't been through it play the game they're just like wow this is really intense um and good because I want to show people who haven't experienced any of these things what life is like. I want to sort of il- illustrate an exercise in empathy, you know, like this is what we go through. So I don't know, please just be kinder to us, be there for us. When you talk about the empathy of understanding what people are going through, there's a lot of intersectionality in this game because you're talking about uh, sexual abuse, PBD. Uh, you mentioned that you are a Muslim woman in the games industry. What message are you hoping to convey or what do you hope that people will be empathetic about specifically? Um, I don't think there's like any overt Muslim representation um, in like what people would generally associate with Muslims because I don't know, they, it's not like I'm wearing a headscarf or saying, yo, what's up everyone, I'm Muslim by the way. Um, it's just, it's everything I do is always going to be a representation of Muslim women of color because I am a Muslim woman of color from South Africa, you know? So even if it's not like overtly there, it's always going to be there. But I did want people to just do people that have been through it to like all the things that's represented in the game to sort of feel like a sense of solidarity, you know? And I don't know. I feel like a lot of the time people with borderline are demonized so badly, whether it's in the DSM you know, or which I hate, by the way, I think it's super problematic, or whether it's people online saying like, oh yeah, this borderline people are super manipulative and they like A, B, and C, which is all like really negative language. Um, Someone even called us emotional vampires, which is hilarious to me, but also like, what the fuck, how can you say that? But yeah, I just wanted people to see that, you know, borderline people are actually normal human beings to an extent. Um, I don't know if anyone's really 
normal, whatever. But like, yeah, the fact that we have interest um, in poetry or music or whatever, like the, the girl in the game does, but also just to show how difficult, like I wanted to also show how difficult it is to live with depression and anxiety and just like constant feelings of abandonment and fear of so many things and hating your body and then loving your body and hating yourself and feeling like you actually have no friends being pissed off at your partner whatever it is that's happening being pissed off at your mom like any of those things I just wanted to show that like real life we should be sensitive to people's real lives um, I often feel like with video games there's such a massive fantasy element like an escape but yeah it's it's about showing like the rawness of real life. And I wanted people just to kind of think beyond their own existence as if they haven't experienced anything shown in the game. You know, um, how am I treating other people? What are other people going through? Now, I read the website postsecret.com. And one of the concepts I sometimes see there is somebody being hesitant to get medication for their mental health condition, whether it's depression or bipolar or whatever, because they see that condition as almost being a source of artistic inspiration. And they're afraid that they'll lose their creativity if they become quote unquote normal. You mentioned, yeah. you, know, you know, you just mentioned that BPD people who have this experience also love art and music and everything else. Do, do you feel like your creativity would be impacted if your BPD was say less pronounced or non-existent? Um, I, so I think it's like, I don't know, it's definitely problematic to romanticize your mental illness into thinking that, you know, it's what makes you all of these things. It definitely makes you a lot of things, but it also, for me, makes me want to, like, tear my heart out and die all the time. So I'd much rather be not as fucked constantly and maybe not be able to do the, some of the things that I do now. I don't know. I don't know. It's just like, I, I definitely think if help is available, you should get it. For, uh, I've had to like go on to Ritalin really recently in order to focus on finishing the game because without it, I was just like, there's so many things that are happening. If the whole fucking world is burning, I don't know what to do. I can't focus on my game when someone's breaking into my house because that happened while we were um, working on the game. And it's just like, I would much rather be on medication and working, like feeling a lot calmer and all of these things, because it's not like, I don't know, I, everything that I've been through before. So like I'm on medication at the moment, but that's a very, very recent thing. Like I haven't been on medication for most of my life. Um, I only started like a few months ago. Um, but I, I don't know, in my particular experience with the stuff that I'm on, I feel like it's not a detraction or something from everything that I have experienced. Although this does tie into something that I spoke about at different games where I was saying that like, I think it's important to have emotional distance from um, something that you're making a game about or whatever. But then at the same time, it feels like if I do have emotional distance, I'm not as, I'm not portraying something as, realistically as I would have if I didn't have emotional distance. That's something that I do struggle with. But the the logical and healthy thing is to sort yourself out first and not like fucking be crippling yourself and working on something while you feel like killing yourself. I mean, that that's horrible. I don't know. I don't think that's okay at all. Right. And I apologize. I, I didn't mean to contribute to that romanticization of uh, mental health conditions. I want to acknowledge. No, no, no. I, I do want to acknowledge that people do that, but you're right that they shouldn't because you know, just like you can be depressed and creative, you can be not depressed and creative. One hundred percent. Yeah. But at the same time, I do understand like so many that, that fear. One hundred percent. I I get that fear. Like for myself, I feel like because I've been so I don't know like fucked for so long. I feel like who am I actually without this? It's awful because it starts becoming like your identity and it's this horrible identity. I don't want to be that that person. And like, it's not like people make me feel like, oh yeah, that's where you are with borderline personality disorder. It's the fact that I feel like that. And I feel like, oh, I don't actually know how to, how to trust anything that is good or happy because I'm so used to things being awful. And it's so like, intrinsically a part of my identity and how I've 
been brought up. Like I mentioned earlier, that had a really um, hectic childhood. So it's like it's difficult to recognize yourself or reconcile yourself to a person that is, I don't know, like stable in inverted commas or like a neurotypical person or someone who is happy and normal or whatever, you know? Right. I saw your talk on YouTube at a maze. It was about, you know, creating games under the crushing weight of being alive. And there, (laughs) you know, and I appreciate that uh, BPD can make making games much more difficult. But even for those who don't have that experience, you know, I could hardly sleep last night because we just had an election here in the United States. And I was, my stomach was in knots worrying about what was going to happen. It's not been a good last two years here in the United States. And I sometimes feel that crushing weight of being alive. And I can only imagine how it is for other people who don't have the privilege that I do. There's a lot to worry about in this world. How were the election results, by the way? Uh, well, the Democrats, who, you know, that's not the party that currently has a, somebody in the White House as the president. The Democrats won. Yeah. The Democrats gained back control of the House, the Congress. Uh, we They lost some seats in the Senate. They flipped seven governorships. And we also elected uh, several firsts, like the first Native American women to Congress, the first Muslim women to Congress, the first openly gay governor. So there are some ways in which the election didn't go the way the Democrats hoped, but a lot of ways in which it went really well. Yeah, that's really cool though, about um, so many uh, minorities now being in Congress. Yeah, I, I think that's something that has really started coming to the forefront in the past two years because straight white cis men have held positions of power in this country for so long and not necessarily done very well with it. And I think two years ago, we started to see more people realizing that there really is strength in diversity. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know, I feel like a lot of Americans are like, oh, my God, what's happening since Donald Trump has been elected? But like, America has always been fucked. They've always been treating people like shit, you know? Um, I mean, with Donald Trump there, obviously he's insane doing awful things. But I feel like even with the other presidents, it was it was problematic. But yeah, that you can have me on a podcast another time talking about that. Oh, absolutely. I, I you know, anybody who says that their president, regardless of the party or the era, is flawless and is doing a perfect job is deceiving themselves because you're right we have problems with every administration i would i would argue however that the current administration is one of the most problematic we've ever seen 100 percent, yeah it's it's absolutely atrocious which actually raises another question i meant to ask you is you talked about how you were able to recruit people locally to develop your game i'm wondering what other aspects of your own environment went into after hours i'm speaking of being in Johannesburg, will will there be any sort of like a cultural gap if somebody in the United States plays your game? They'll say, oh, I, I don't understand what that means or that's not how we do things here? I don't know if they'll think that. And if they think that's not how we do things, yeah, whatever. Like that's their problem. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> um, so like, I think that like, okay, so I, I added subtitles in the game, which I should have done from the beginning. So it was more... Um, inclusive, you know, for people that are hard of hearing or can't hear or anything. But also, um, one of my uh, friends in America played the game and he couldn't understand some of the stuff that I was saying because of my accent. So I think that I I added subtitles definitely to be more inclusive, but also like I didn't want to add subtitles initially because I felt like, oh, Americans are so lazy all the time. They should work to understand what I'm saying. Um, but I only, uh, I added subtitles, yeah, so it could be more inclusive, I guess. But I don't think there's any, like, cultural gaps particularly. Uh, they, they were, like, there was a South African slang word that I had um, before, this word dwarf. Um, but I took it out, not because I wanted to make the game more, like, easy for American audiences, but because it, I didn't feel like it fit because I changed a lot of the dialogue. But, yeah, it's, uh, I definitely do think, Every single thing that I do ever um, up until this point is like super influenced um, by Joburg culture because like I'm born and raised in Joburg. You know, it's it's been my home. Um, I love South Africa. I love our culture. I'm, I'm biased, obviously, but it's my favorite place in the whole world, even with its millions of problems. Like Joburg is home. And if I can, I feel like people have a very 
like non-South Africans have a very specific view of what they think South Africa is, which is a lot of the time very incorrect. Or like they expect South African game devs to, I don't know, make fucking games of us living in the desert with lions as pets and shit. And like, that's what? Uh, what? What? Like, yeah. So anything that I do, influenced by Joburg, definitely is what I just mean to say. So even with some of the problems you've mentioned, like no internet at home, people throwing rocks on cars that they can rob them, and also the 28 hours of travel it takes to get to video game conferences. If you're going to be an up and rising star in the video game industry, you want to stay in South Africa? Um, okay, so that thing about throwing rocks on cars, it doesn't happen everywhere in South Africa. It only happens in my particular area. Okay. I love one of the more hmm, areas of Choburg. Very, very colorful place, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, I, I definitely do want to stay in South Africa. I feel the most, it's the place where I can be the most free. I'm not scared about practicing my religion here. Um, I mean, Islamophobia definitely does exist here, but like when I'm in America, I feel like I'm walking around with a target on my back, you know? Um, so I wouldn't like, it's just, it's home. I love the people here and I love our culture here, but I am open to like traveling for work or maybe staying somewhere else for a few months or whatever. I don't know. I'm 23. I mean, I could die tomorrow. I, I I don't know. I'll figure things out as it comes. But I am open to things, I guess. <laughs> well, it's good, especially when you're young. <laughs> Actually, at any age, it's good to be open to things. Yeah, 100%. So I'm talking to you on Wednesday, November 7th, a week ago from when the show comes out. After hours, when I saw it at different games, was going to be out by now, but it got delayed a month until early December. What are you doing with that extra month? So it got delayed. Um, I'm just going to speak about about why it got delayed, if that's okay. Yes, please. Um, so it got delayed because, like, towards the ending of like the due date, everything I felt like we were crunching, and it just felt like I didn't want to do this. And I felt like I was giving Tim the programmer. A, I was putting a lot on him to do things, and it just I didn't feel okay with it. I gave like a lot of the things late him as well, like acid wise and stuff, because I couldn't do anything because I was so fucking depressed. And I feel like I was speaking to Claire about this earlier today, actually, how I feel like I'm a slave to depression. Like when it says, okay, but yeah, you can work now. That's when I have to like do everything. And then it's like, ah, your time is up, girl. It's time to, you know, hate yourself and hate everything. So all I could do was like give them things in increments, not, and like really, <clears throat> I don't know, all at once and like overload him or nothing at all. And there was nothing I could do because even when I had time to work, I physically could not work. I felt completely disabled. Like I couldn't do anything but lay on my floor at home and scream and cry. A sight everyone in my community is very used to, unfortunately. But yeah, so I asked the people at Humble if we could please have an extension because I just felt like the game was not where it should be. I didn't want to put them under all of that pressure. I was going insane. Um, so yeah, that's when I was like, we need to take, we need an extra month. So we got that extra month now. Uh, hopefully everything will be done. I actually have work to do on the game that I haven't been doing because it, I just feel super anxious about it. But I'll be spending this month, the beginning at least of November, polishing it, doing like going through all of the bugs, um, writing out like bug reports for them, whatever, he'll be working on it. So we're doing all of that. But then toward the ending of the month, oh, and like doing a bunch of marking because I do it at my university as well. But towards the later part of the month, um, I'm going to the UK, not for a games related thing. It's my first like holiday, not for a games related thing. I'm going because one of my favorite bands, Yumi at Six, they're performing um, their 10-year anniversary tour. And I have to do this. This is like my dream since I was 17. I have to do it for myself. I don't care what's happening. I'm going and I need to do that. And then I'm going to um, Cape Town for Playtopia. It's another like amazing South African games event. But yeah, that's how I'll be spending November if I don't drop dead. Well, I hope you don't drop dead because it sounds like you have a lot to look forward to. 
I mean, yeah, I also, I hope I don't die like before the, the Yumi at six to shit, I have to go for it afterwards. Hmm, I mean, you know, <laughs> well, I'm really glad to hear that humble was so accommodating because so many publishers have this crunch period where people almost literally put their lives on the line to get a game out the door and yeah. uh, being able to prioritize yeah. an individual's health as a person is much more important. They've been really amazing. Um, I'm really grateful because I honestly, I did feel like I, I wanted to die when it was the time of like the due date and all of those things. I was just like, shit, I, I, I would like, you know, like to die right now, please, because I, I can't cope with everything. So yeah, super grateful for everyone that allows us not to, um, get involved in crunch culture and putting our lives on the line. When this game comes out via Humble, will it be for Mac, Windows and Linux? Uh, we so far we only have a Windows build. I think we'll make a Mac build as well. Hopefully, I don't even know what Linux is. What what is that? I mean, I see it everywhere. I don't know what it is. I've never personally used it. I understand it's a version of Unix, but uh, it's all free and I open source. I don't know what Intel <laughs> free means as well. What is anything? <laughs> no worries. Um, yeah, you know how professional I am. Uh, her story came out for iOS, I believe. Do you think there'll be a mobile version of After Hours? Probably not, um, because it's such a detailed like game. There's all these small details I feel like would be missable playing on mobile. I don't know, is that even missable playing on Okay, you get what I'm saying, right? It's not going to be noticed if it's played on mobile game, I mean, on a phone. But maybe, I don't know, we'll see. Uh, open to anything, right? That's the motto. Again, that's a great way to be at any age. <laughs> Can you remind our listeners where to find you and or After Hours online? Yeah. So um, if you follow me on Twitter, uh, should I give my handle? I guess I can do that. It's Breaking Bahia. Uh, that's B-R-E-K-I-N, no G, Bahia, B-A-H-I-Y-Y-A. So you can follow me and the, the other devs that helped make the game. And you can see uh, when the game's coming out, because I tweet about it a lot. There's also a bunch of like shitty tweets. They ignore all of that. Um, but yeah, you can, I guess if you're part of Humble, you'll be getting it in the December monthly thing that they send out. And if you YouTube, like after hours, Yakan, our trailer should pop up. So yeah, although uh, I guess I'll comment on that video when the game comes out, like we people can access. Fantastic. There will be links to everything you just mentioned, to Twitter, to Humble, to your trailer, on the website for this podcast at polygamer.net. And I'll be sure to update it when the game comes out. So if people are listening to this later, they can find the link to your game there. Any last message you want to leave our listeners? Um, yeah, buy our game. <laughs> uh, definitely, we need that. Uh, be very nice to people. Don't be an asshole. Um, drink water, very important. Be on time. I actually have to, I have to do that. Oh my God, I feel like it's my Dutch game store all over again because I need to pee and I haven't been peeing on time. Uh, yeah, and I don't know. If anyone knows the, like, Yumi at six of the front bottoms, please tell them about me. Tell them to feature me on their new album and make me best friends with them. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think they should be best friends with you anyway. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time. It's been great talking with you. Thank you so much for having me and for like allowing me to speak about things that I think are important. Oh, my pleasure. This has been Polygamer, a GameBits production. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback at polygamer.net. Polygamer.